And you're very welcome back to another episode of the Women's National League podcast here on FineWhistle.ie with myself, Brefney Early, and of course, as ever, Aaron Clark joining me for a look back at the weekend's action. Maybe look back over the last couple of weeks. It's been a little while since we've had a show. Uh, we'll talk about the Galway situation that's been uh, on everyone's minds over the last couple of days. And of course, next weekend's action as well. Aaron, you're very welcome back. It's been a little while. How are things? Been, been a while. Been busy, but you know, it's... It's good to be back. You've been gallivanting as well because uh, you've been following the girls in green all over Europe for the last couple of weeks, specifically to Slovakia for that World Cup uh, qualifier. Uh, win was achieved. We've seen it over all the papers and all the media over the last few weeks and, and months, I suppose, really. It's been a phenomenal couple of... Uh, uh, just a phenomenal campaign for the girls in green. But the media and the public really seem to have bought in now in terms of attendances, in terms of coverage. Uh, obviously, we've both been part of that over the last decade or so, but it must be nice to see that growth from your own point of view uh, in the women's sport coverage over the last few months and years. Yeah, it's great. Like You look at the FAI said the other day, it was only a year since Sky came on board and you can see the massive difference they made. You walked into Tala on, on on the Thursday before against the for the Finland game, and everything is decked out in Ireland. The girls' faces are everywhere. There's none of the Shamrock Rovers stuff up. It's all about the girls, and you normally don't see that. You normally see the Shamrock Rovers stuff in the background. Any little thing, the the commentary box where RT normally sit up, or the pundits sit was was had was all replastered with all the girls' faces, and you just look at things like that. I think Emma Duffy, a journalist from Forty Two, shared a picture before the game of during the 20 by 20 campaign and you're looking at the the south stand and the east stand are empty for qualifiers and we had the the craze where everybody looking for tickets unfortunately there was a bit of a debacle with tickets the fai have come out about it where a thousand seats ended up being empty but yeah you know it's great to see that there is that buzz there there's that excitement there and it's been it's been an interesting campaign to say the least we haven't always played our best everybody will admit that but we've been getting results and you know, like you just think about the results in Gothenburg, the results in Helsinki, and then the result in, in, in Senec last week. And it's been great to be at the mall. You can just see how much it means to Ireland. And we're not finished yet in this campaign. It's it's exciting times ahead with the playoff to come. Yeah, we're going to hear more about that when we chat to Louise Quinn. We spoke to her a little bit earlier and we have her thoughts on how it's all gone so far, right from the heart of the camp. Um, it's been a fantastic journey for the sport. I remember going to games back in, in Belfield and Richmond Park and you knew everybody. There was a couple of dozen people there, maybe only a dozen or so above and beyond friends and family and, and FAI staff. Um, it's come a long, long way that we're now giving out that there's empty seats in, in the stadium, that people didn't get the chance to fill them in one of the biggest venues in the country. Um, is that something the FAI have got right, in your opinion, over the last few years? Because leaving those seats empty, like, is that acceptable anymore? I don't think it is, and you can you can hear Vera Powell sort of had a, a good pop of them in the pre-match press conference in Slovakia to say it's on them people who booked, who bought them tickets to to come, but but it looked as though it was patches, so maybe it was teams and things like that didn't come where the FAI were trying to promote that. I know the FAI have come out and said their marketing division will be looking carefully at that, but like there's a couple of things that the FAI have done good in terms of tickets and stuff like that. They they've gone away from being the usual the season ticket holders get just free tickets into the women's games and that's it where now they sort of gave them access to a pre-sale and said listen if you want them go buy them you have early access and that's being better because that in itself was also helped to, to get rid of some of the empty seats and 
Like I'd love him to see Tala completely full, especially after the weeks you're seeing sold out, sold out, sold out, and then for it to be not, it was disappointing. But thankfully, the girls delivered with the result on the result on the pitch. But I do think you're right in what you're saying. Like you, you look back at the years where I remember a Spain game at a at two o'clock in an after on, a, on an afternoon where the FAI were sort of paying for buses for school kids to come to the game and all just to get people in. And now they're now they're sort of not having to really commit that commit to that sort of thing. Whereas People want to come and watch the girls because of what they're doing. And if we could be successful in the playoff, it would bring it to another level. There was still bits of talk around the Aviva Stadium, this, the Aviva Stadium, that. You know, I think we need to get our house in order with Tallow first and, and get it properly sold out before we can start looking at doing things like that. There was 2,000 free tickets given for the Finland game and not all of them seemed to be used. But it was a great atmosphere, great to see so many kids there and, you know, you're looking at some of the, the next younger generations who are in the crowd. Like, I think there was a photograph of Katie McCabe's sister standing in the background as Katie was signing autographs after the game. And then Katie's sister, Lauren, goes and scores the under-16s 16, under against Wales. You know, it's it's sort of inspiring the next generation to to come along and see where they can bring where they can bring Irish football. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the current generation, one of the leaders of that current generation is, of course, centre-back uh, Louise Quinn. She's a stalwart with a number of clubs over the years. She's currently in the uh, the championship in England, WSL 2, uh, with Birmingham City, riding high in that competition at the moment after just the first two rounds have been played. They're currently in third place. But more importantly, uh, she has been key to Ireland's progress over the last few years, and particularly in this campaign. She's been one of Ireland's main, main players. So let's... Uh, Play the interview. Myself and Aaron had a chat with her uh, before we shot the show tonight. Let's hear what she had to say to us. Now join us for the next 10 or 15 minutes or so to have a chat about all things women's national team over the last few weeks is Louise Quinn, uh, well known to anyone who follows the sport across the county. And of course, a former player in the women's national league herself, uh, winning the league with Piedmont United back in the early seasons. It's been a bit of a journey since then. She's been to Sweden, she's been to Italy, she's been in the numerous places across the UK, uh, and you might even have forgotten about one or two spots as well. You've been uh, globe-trotting so much over the last decade. But Louise Quinn, you're absolutely very welcome to the Women's National League podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie. Very nice. Thanks for having me, lads. You're more than welcome. We've been trying to have kind of uh, some of the more established international players on over the last few uh, months since we've been doing the, the show, but it's just it's proven very difficult to uh, to get uh, availability and to get with your schedules and stuff. But first of all, I suppose how have the last few weeks been for you personally? Uh, it's been a, a really really momentous thing for Ireland to finish second in the group and get into this playoff qualification process for the World Cup. Yeah, I think it's it's just been really really special to be honest um it's yeah it, it was it was hard to describe in moments i think it was just even um getting you know having the struggles that we did for the euros to then kind of you know go go above and beyond kind of i suppose what we wanted to in a world cup as well um i think you know we're all quite understanding of how difficult it is to qualify and um, to get out of the european stages um, and yeah, and so to kind of in that group where obviously, uh, you know, such a top top team like Sweden, um, a massively up and coming team like Finland, and then a team that you know, which I feel its its ranking doesn't prove the quality of the team that it is, Slovakia, um, you know, and obviously Georgia, 
Um, still, you know, we had very good results against them, but they actually had some very good results against all those other, like, you know, not not winning results, but, you know, it, they made it out kind of tougher than, uh, you know, than maybe our games went, but they were still some a team to be kind of very, very careful of. So I think for us to get where we've gotten now, um, yeah, it is, it's a little bit dreamy, but that's the thing. They're still, it's still ongoing. We can still, we can still do so much more. Um, and to kind of finally kind of reach those expectations, even just of ourselves, not of the, you know, the kind of external factors and external media and people and fans. Um, you know, I think we really needed this for ourselves. Louise, you talk about the, the last campaign, like it must've been hard to pick yourself up off the floor, especially with the result in Ukraine. You know, you're going there after beating Mentala, the results are going your way. I think the two games that probably stand out in that group was Ukraine away and and, and Greece away. It must have been hard for the, for a lot of players to pick themselves up because we thought we were we were almost there for the, for the last Euros. Yeah, it's, uh, it was in stages. Like, I remember that Greece game um, really... Yeah, it kind of really broke me a little bit. Um, you know, I really felt the effects of that game. Um, I just, even at the stage, you maybe don't know how much of a hiccup it might be, but it just a defeat like that. Or sorry, I'm saying a defeat. It felt like a defeat, a draw, and um, to kind of give it away in such a such a late stage of the game was, yeah, was was devastating. And you know, I think we were still able to. That's football. That's sport. You have to pick yourself up. Um, and then yeah, and then it kind of came down to this this one game um and i think it was it was pressures that we hadn't really felt before um as a team maybe a little bit as individuals um but as a team we hadn't really faced that and i think there was maybe that little bit of uh, nerves behind it inexperience um with that group of that group of players um it was almost kind of we almost didn't talk about how important the game was, I think. And I think to kind of get it out and express how you're feeling, if you're if you're nervous, if you're anxious about what's going on, if you're, you know, just how you're feeling, um, I think was really important for us. So it did that, uh, again, after that Ukraine game, really, really difficult, probably, you know, the lowest, the lowest point of my international career. And it was only so recent. Um, yeah, but I think as soon as, we had our we had our break. We were able to get kind of back on track. Have a you know, and then openly we openly spoke about how tough that was then, um, and yeah, and then we've you know we pretty much scheduled some of the hardest games of our of our careers as well against some top top opponents, um, higher seeds. As we know, it was yeah, it was seven six seven losses in a row, um, but I think it was then we learned so much about that. We learned kind of in ways how to you know how to lose um how to close off opponents how to keep score lines down against against better opponents how to attack how to score goals um you know and there was just so much taken from that and i think we all just grew as players we knew kind of some of the things we did wrong um and you know and we're we're only human and that's going to happen and you know you get put in these situations um and yeah and it just kind of feels like we've We've come over that in a in a big way. We still we still have a long way to go. We have no doubt about it. But again, for us to kind of get to this stage, um, we're just we're incredibly proud of ourselves as a team and and how we've um just gotten even closer as a squad is is something special. 
most people try and do a crossword so some days of the week uh, trying to solve out exactly what happens now for Ireland's women's national team is a little bit of a puzzle for a lot of people. It's very complicated. Can you break down what exactly is required now for Ireland to get to that World Cup? Yeah, so obviously now there are so there are two playoff games in October. We've managed to skip the first stage of it. So there's two games on the 6th and the 11th of October. So we will play our game on the 11th of October, um, either versus uh, Austria or Scotland. Um, and then obviously there's the other the other group games going on. So even in that little pool of nine nine teams um, that got a best second, we get into the top three of those nine teams, which then essentially mean we skipped one game. Um, and then resulting in that, so whoever we play out of Austria, Scotland, if we win that game, let's say we win that game, and then Switzerland and Iceland, who are ranked above us in that little top three, uh, if they also win their game, uh, their one game that they have, that's when we'll have to go to New Zealand and play in a, in the next kind of sort of round of playoffs against other um, other continents. Your you know your South America, your Asia, um, you know all kind of one of the African African teams as well. So and then the way to skip that and hopefully just win our one game and go straight to the World Cup is if your Switzerland or Iceland lose if one of them teams lose their games because we'll take uh, their ranking. So the top the out of this little pool of three, the top two, if they win their game, they go through. Um, yeah, so very complicated. Everyone has tried. I don't know if I've simplified that in any way. It's all logical in my head. I can see it. I can see it, but sometimes explaining it can be very difficult. Um, but yeah, listen, that's again, that's something that's kind of out of our hands. Um, something that we can't, you know, we've just again got to get, got to go on and win our game, um, and then just kind of see see what happens, see if luck is on our side, um, you know. But first and foremost, win our game, um, and at least minimum get to you know get to New Zealand in February. I remember briefly just even when the final whistle went in, in Tala for the for the Finland game. Us in the press box are already starting to work out what the world need to get this get this advance into the second round. And you know, you're watching it go boy as the weekend goes on. You're watching the new teams do as a favorite. You're sort of like, okay, nice. And then even for you, Louise, what was it like then in in Slovakia? There must have been still been some nerves because of the fact that you knew it was in your hands again. Um like yes and no. Obviously, again, you want to you want to do the best that you can. I think the um yeah, that kind of being able to skip the the first game of the playoff on October 6th again was massive. To kind of uh, you know, as we've shown to have two international games in a week is very, very difficult. Um, you know, and then to obviously, you know, you're gonna have to do so much external work of your potential, um, you know, the potential team you may play. So I think it's, you know, for us, it was, it was really big. And it was one of those things where, you know, we'd kind of achieved our goal, get into the playoff. Um, and then, so kind of approaching the game, it was like, you know what, we don't, we don't have too much to lose, but we have so, so much to gain from, from that situation. Um, you know, we'd still knew that we'd put ourselves in such a great position. 
Um, so just to kind of get that extra, yeah, that extra boost, one last game, concentrate on, you know, one of the teams, have a really good build up, have plenty of time together. Um, you know, and that's something that is that's pivotal in international football. You know, we had we had three days, basically three days, two to three days to build up to that Finland game, you know, potentially the biggest game of our careers. Um, you know, and that's that's international football. So many teams have to do it, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make it any easier. So kind of to get to get that, we you know, we were more, yeah, more just excited of what of what could be. Um you know, and obviously you can look at the game, yes, potential nervy moments, but again, that's you'd have to do so much problem solving when you're on the pitch at the time. Um, and that's you know, that's kind of something that can happen. And I think, you know, the the week was it was a, a draining one as well, um, kind of emotionally, physically. Um yeah, so for us, I think for me there was no stage that we were going to lose that game but I know moments maybe you maybe you guys did watching it but on the pitch you know we knew we weren't going to lose it but um yeah listen you, you know you want to take more control of those games and that's again that's something we have to we have to learn and pick up really quick I've got one moment for you Louise the very towards the very end of the game the Slovakian forward is running running right behind you for a cross a, a ball and she just cuts her line and comes across you and the two years tangle legs. I, I'd say it was nearly a heart and a mouth moment because I was right on the edge of the box late in the game. Yeah, yeah, but I was like, that's a free kick. She ran at me. I had this got said to me after the game, and that was I don't know, someone was saying it could have been very damaging. And I was like, What are they on about? I have no idea. She as far as I'm aware, she literally ran into the back of me and I just went clattering to the ground. I had no idea what was going on. Because I was I wasn't even trying to, you know. Shepherd or I was like, ah, oh, there's the ball, roll into Courtney, love of courts, pick it up, happy days. And then I get for me, I get taken out of it from behind. That was my perception. And I tell you now, if I was trying to block her off or if I was trying to do something, I had no idea she was there. She just came steamrolling through me, as far as I'm aware. She never left a foul in her life, Louise Quinn. And <laughs> uh, Louise, obviously, we know each other a good while. We probably were involved with teams together before you even got your first cap. Uh, a couple of years ago now, what's it like now compared to then? I know we're on the, the verge of a of a major championship qualification. We weren't a million miles away from that at times during your early years as well with the with the squad. But what's the, the difference between the two at the moment? Is it chalk and cheese or is it really just the same thing, only just a little bit more experienced? Um, you know, obviously some things I feel are definitely chalk and cheese. Um, you know, even to me, obviously playing for a lot of years now, some of the the quality of players that I played with back then, unbelievable. Um, you know, and if again so many like and even at that stage, a lot of them in a professional setup, a lot at Arsenal, um, a good few abroad, a couple in America. So again, kind of had some of that real experience, but for me, essentially, it's it's yeah, it's it's obviously playing at again now a completely different a completely different pace. Um, you know, Irish players want to bring up the you know the quality and the speed of their play with with full time you know full time training, um, is is literally is unbeatable. Um, but also for me, it's it's the backing of the association, um, to kind of show that they have their confidence in us now, and we're not just a team that they think that had to be there because other teams had it you know it was 
just a tick box of having a women's team um, and not having that support, not having what was looking like any progression, um, any investment, um, either, you know, for, for home players or even to have that kind of, you know, that push to go abroad. And we really had to take it into our own hands, um, you know, and so that's, that's something as well. And you, you can feel that to even have, you know, proper communication with the, with the, you know, the higher, the, the higher ups in the, in the FAI now, it's, it is, it is something that's massive. Um, and when you have someone who feels like they're, they're backing you, um, you know, you, you've always, you always have pride in playing for your country, but when you know that there's the support there, um, to make sure that, you know, we're, we're tip top when we go into international camp, um, is, is huge. How big was that, that strike? I know not, nobody likes talking about it, but how big was that decision to go on strike uh, that four, three or four or five years ago, whatever, I can't quite remember what year it was, but um, to take that action and say, no, we want to be taken seriously. We want to be treated equally. Is that the catalyst or was it all heading that direction anyway? Yeah, yes, that was, yeah, 2017. Never forget it. Um, you know, that was one of the biggest moments of, of uh of our kind of international careers as well, to be honest, that was probably one of the biggest and best. And that was something again, that had, yeah, that had started, you know, a few years previous again of so many players that, you know, are thankfully still in the squad and then some that, um, that aren't playing anymore. But that was, yeah, that those chats for us started happening, you know, the few years previous and the likes of your, you know, Emma Byrne, she gets mentioned, you know, every time Anya Gorman, who's, who's still in the squad. And, um, you know, there's there's so, so many there that also kind of pushed, pushed us on. And, you know, we were we would have got a chat from Emma and, um, you know, Yvonne's and, you know, so, so many of the girls that were in the squad back then to say, listen, this isn't for us. This is for you. And, you know, that kind of sticks with you that you have to kind of keep keep wanting to push on, put, you know, at times it felt like your international um you know, career was at risk doing it, but we knew that we were all sticking together. We wanted to do it. We wanted to change. Um, and that was kind of it for me. There was, there was, you were hoping, you know, you were scared that there was going to be a different outcome and maybe a backlash from even, you know, from, from the outside of, you know, just be proud to play for your country. And that's, you know, you get told that that's it. That's a given. That's a, you know, you don't need to, to tell us twice to, you know, to have, that pride of just playing for your country, but it's then making sure that we're given the best to be at our best for our country. And that wasn't, that wasn't given to us and given to so many players, um, you know, a few years ago. So it was, you know, it was, it was something then that, yeah, if it was obviously to go to the, you know, to the media, it was going to be, it was going to be questioned. Um, you know, so there, in hindsight, there was hopefully not going to be any sort of bad outcome, but, I think everything that's happened since then and, and everything sponsors that have come on board have, have shown, um, yeah, that they, that they believe in us and they back us and, and we have the talent and, um, yeah. And then the players have put it up to themselves to be in the best shape possible. And, you know, and that's even still players based in Ireland, they do everything to, to make sure that, you know, they're up to the levels of when we go into international camp and it shows by the way, um, you know, Anya Gorman is still the fittest in the squad. As, as far as I'm aware, there's still another 10 years left in her. So it's, um, you know, for me, it's 
it's how the players have taken it on as well and taken so much self responsibility um, to make sure that they're at their best. Louise, you talk about you know leaving the the, the pre- how the previous players wanted to leave the jersey and leave the thing. What would it mean for the next generation for Ireland to qualify for a major tournament? Yeah, listen, it's that you know I think that means a loss a lot to all of us it means you know something that you've you've hope you've made a mark on the game not even necessarily on the pitch but office as well and um, you want to have that kind of effect that you're making sure that it's left in the in the right place and then yeah the kind of same talks that we would have got off the off the girls a little stern word to be like keep this going don't let it drop make sure you know that for the players to come after that again that they uh they can keep this going because the last thing we want is is standards to drop and um you know the the quality of you know facilities and you know uh, parity to the you know to the men's team we don't we can't let that drop it's it's pivotal for us to kind of keep that going and keep asking questions and and knocking on the door um you know and that's that's something as well that we can we can do some of that talking on the pitch and i think i think we are doing that now at club level, you play in, in England with uh, Birmingham City. There's like a little mini Irish enclave in that squad, though. I think there's five of you in the squad at the moment. Like Harriet, Lucy, Jamie, and somebody else who springs to mind. Ellie. Yeah. And Lorraine, um, of course. Um, so it's it's it must be kind of like a home away from home. What's the, the atmosphere like there in the club at the moment? Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, obviously we've you know we had a we had a tough season last year and and got relegated. But for me again, it's it was something where the squad was still actually really together and um you know from it's it is it's very tough to to lose a lot of games like that. But again, for me, the squad, um you know the coaching staff we had there going into the end of the season was was excellent and they you know they totally believed in us and it was. You know, it, it kind of you get to that stage where you know everyone is given their one hundred percent, and things definitely went went or sorry didn't go our way, even potentially on the pitch with decisions and and referees in some of the biggest games that we had. You know, bottom of the table kind of clashes and stuff, um, and yeah, and so to kind of but to have your you know your your Irish teammates there, and um, you know even at the few days after we got back from camp, we just had a little five-a-side tournament and, and we were Team Ireland, literally five months. And we we how many, we won almost every game apart from the last game, but we absolutely smashed the rest of them out of the park. But we were just, I, mean, I don't know, I've never seen us train so well either. I was like, this is the best training session I've had for Birmingham ever. So, uh, no, we were just, just excited and just, do you know what I mean? It's, it's something where you, it's great to have that connection with, you know, with everyone, um, you know, and that be it, then that, that can transfer into the national team as well. Who puts the gloves on for the five-a-side? Oh, yeah, no, thankfully we have, like, three or four keepers, so no one was in net, but it would be Lucy Quinn, obviously. <laughs> Before we let you go, Louise, obviously you've played at the start of the league. Um, will we see you back in a, maybe a P-Mount jersey? I'm guessing it's only going to be P-Mount, knowing you from back in the day. Um Will that be something that we might see in a similar way we saw Steph come back for a couple of seasons? Uh, will you finish your career here or there, or have you even thought about it? Has life moved on? 
yeah, yeah. I haven't, you know, haven't overly thought about it, but obviously then having having Ellie here, um, you know, she's keeping everything up to date. You know, I always kind of keep up to date on the National League anyway, but and then obviously having Jamie Finn, who's a big shells head. So, you know, there's always a lot of competition in the ch in the change room as well, where we kind of turn on each other a little bit at times. Healthy competition, but um, yeah, listen, it hasn't something I've been overly thought about, but it would uh yeah listen it would cross your mind to obviously go back to where it all to where it all began and and yeah you know hopefully for me it's uh it's p-mate that would that would be that team um yeah so but yeah we won't think about that yes i'm i'm, I'm happy enough over here now listen on that note louise i think we'll let you go uh, thanks so much for giving us a bit longer than we had planned but thank you so much for being so generous with your time uh, as ever a pleasure to chat to you Best of luck for the season ahead. I know you're third in the, in the table in Birmingham at the moment. Uh, four points from the first two games. No games at the moment because of obviously the uh, the, the the passing of the of Queen Elizabeth. But uh, I'm sure once you get back on the pitch, uh, we'll see better things from from Birmingham this season. So best of luck with all of that. Lovely. Thanks so much, guys. So Louise Quinn there chatting to us about uh, what was going on with her at the moment. Sorry, a bit of audio issues. I think uh, Aaron's mic might be a little bit loud. Um, but it's been an interesting few uh, months for the, the women's team. For Louise, for her teammates, Aaron, your thoughts on that interview? I, do, you know, do you know what? I think she's writing a lot of things she says. And you look at, you look at how, how poignant that strike was looking back now. Like it could have went two ways. It could have went one way where they're told, "Ah, listen, go away, it's grand," but it didn't, and the consequences have been massive. Not even just the simple things like changing in an airport or tracksuits or stuff like that. But you know, look where they're staying. They stay in Castle Lock. If if they can't use Castle Lock, they'll use Johnstown House. They have everything they need. There's no nobody's nobody wants anything. Like my my example is you look at Chloe Mistaki when she tore her ACL. She went on Ireland duty. She full access to Sport Ireland facilities for the entire recovery to help her make sure it's 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 come true. Would she had that a couple of years ago? Probably not. And that's the biggest difference. I think the girls have all that sort of opportunities. And I harp on about it again, but mentioned Sky. Sky putting in grants of twenty five thousand, five thousand for five players to do some to put towards what they're going to want to do after their footballing career. Things like that. Like that's how much the women's game has moved on and. I just hope for, for our sake that we do get qualification, if not this campaign, the next one. But, you know, it's it's it still is exciting times. Absolutely. Well, I suppose if we cast our eyes a little bit closer to home over the last weekend, some exciting games took place over the weekend too. Putting the results up on the bottom of the screen there for you. You can watch them as we're chatting. But um, it's very hard to look past Talca Park and that clash of the, well, the top two over the last recent seasons, at least Shells and Piemounts. Um, I think most people expected Pima maybe not to come out of this game with the win, but they did exactly that. Steph Roach striking late in the game, took all three points for Pima, but it's blown the title race completely open now. We've even got a new leader on top of the table, Wexford's win, uh, bringing them top of the table. Uh, it's it's like a repeat of last year, only in reverse, potentially. Where do you see the next couple of weeks going, Aaron? Just first of all, Brefney, you're probably a bit surprised to hear this, but I actually was asked my prediction before the game by somebody. I actually said P-Mount because I just had that inkling. Things haven't been great at home for Shelburne this season since before the break. They've only, before the break, they played Galway and Wexford. And since then, they've only won one game at home, and that was against Treaty United. And 
they haven't they, they look as though they're really missing the girls who've gone and, and it's having a, a massive impact on the pitch the title race is well and truly blown open like you look at this you look at what, what's to come in the next couple of weeks like Shelburne have some big games Wexford have some big games but the, th- the thing is P-Mount are starting to get that little bit of form they've won the last five league games and they're starting to inch that little way back in and you know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one because Wexford still have to play P-Mount Shell still have to play the likes of Athlone DLR some big games and I just think it's wide open there where we're gonna see a lot of twists and tails and it's going to be a case of who who doesn't drop the drop as many points. But we spoke just after the break when Shells had Athlone, Bowes, and Sligo, and we sort of said if they win them three, they've won hand on the title. They got two points from them games, and they sort of slid since there. Whereas the likes of Wexford have just been consistent, grinding out results when they haven't been great at times, and that's been that's been the biggest difference. And I think for, from a Shelburne point of view, you could see they struggled in front of the goal at the weekend. Nevery Burke made one superb save. Didn't have to do an awful lot more. Raced off her line once to, clap, to gather a ball. But other than that, she was quite quiet. And the P-Mount defence, they just marshalled them. I thought Cycle ran the game in the middle of the park for, for P-Mount. And Stephanie would probably be disappointed. She could have four or five goals on the night. And you could see how much of a, a relief there was when, when she did get it. Especially with, I know people won't like us saying it, but what the, the incident that happened in the in the cup game where there was where there was words, words exchanged with the crowd. And... I think you, you could see it was down that end how much it meant to her just to, to put the ball in the net. Absolutely. But a vital three points for P-Mount. Uh, how big of a slip-up will that be for Shells as the season progresses? Only a couple of rounds of games left. It's getting super, super tight at the top. But let's talk about the actual game itself on uh, on Saturday evening in, in Talca. Between Garth Brooks, uh, sounds drifting into the TV coverage and uh, and the TV cameras been there themselves. It just seemed like everything was happening in Talca at the at the weekend. A couple of parking tickets, I believe, as well. Do you know what we were? Do you know what we were in the ground two hours before kickoff, and it was just because of the fact that the place was mental. You know, everything was going on around. As you say, with Brooks playing in Crow Park, all the all the fans and the the country western hats and stuff like that. But yeah, everything everything was was rolling towards Talca. I was surprised the game was allowed to be played at that stage. I would have thought maybe. The police made a step, the guard made a step in and said, listen, we can't have that because of what's going on so close. Like there was a stage for the first 20 minutes of the game where I don't know if we'll come across on the television, but the, the guard of helicopters flying over the top of the ground. And it was, you know, it was just one of them. And I think I don't think it was the greatest game of football. I think the purists will say that it wasn't it wasn't a, a spectacular game of football. It was it was more of a, a bit of a battle, but it just it, it was for a game that was on TV. It was I don't think it was a great game, but I definitely do think the right winner come out at the end of the, the end of the night. Yeah, we'll take a look at the league table and all the ramifications of that later on. But maybe let's t- cast an eye down uh, to Wexford. They had a, a big win as well. Five one winners over Cork City. Uh, Christina Dring did open the scoring for Cork, but it wasn't to be their night. Uh, fairly heavy defeat for them. We've seen a few of them this season, but uh, Wexford. It's kind of a fitting statement that they're going top of the league with a, a big statement win like that. Two penalties as well from Avian Clancy. So I think Danny Murphy would be extremely disappointed with that. But you're right. And you look at some of the goals. Kira Rossler's goal in particular was a superb finish. She, the way she just broke free. And that's just the way Wax has been playing. You, you look at them even a couple of weeks ago. I watched them against DLR Waves. And they weren't playing great. But then all of a sudden, the, the switch flipped. And scored three quick goals. Sealed the game. Put it to bed. And... 
they have that ability. I think they're one thing they've struggled this season against the likes of the Shelburne's and the P-Mounts is to find a net. They've struggled to find a net in them sort of games. Like, they look at a win against Shelburne. It was a deflected clearance from Amanda Budden off Jess Lawler that went into the net. And I think for, for Wexford, they're just looking to build build along and continue to pick up the points. And if, if others drop them, they'll, they'll be there to capitalise because they're just so consistent in terms of game after game after game after game. And, like, the biggest thing for them is they're just gearing up towards the Cup semi-final against Athlone and the last two games they have this season are P-Mount away and Shelburne at home. So they're just looking to keep going and keep, 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 you've got massive leaders in that dressing room with the likes of Kylie Murphy and I don't think they'll let them stand at slip. Yeah, there's a few others in there as well. Uh, well, well used to winning titles down there in Ferry Carrick Park. Are they likely to be the biggest beneficiary of the players we've seen leave Shells and Piedmont over the last 18 months or so? Right back to like Neve Farley, um, plenty of others that have left since she kind of was the first one, maybe, or Claire Walsh, the first one to kind of move, move abroad. We've seen maybe a dozen girls go from those two sides over the last 18 months. Wexford haven't really lost anyone of the same quality. No, they haven't. And the only real player of note that they probably, you can say they've probably lost is Keir Bates Crosby, who went to Bowes and is doing well for Bowes. But other than that, they haven't. And they managed to be consistent in keeping players at home. Like the biggest thing is keep, they've kept Ella Malloy so far. They have Ella Malloy through to the end of the season. We don't really know what's going to happen next. There's talk she's going to go to college in Dublin. Will she stay? Will, will she, I assume she, she may stay in Wexford Youth, especially if they do win the league. But that's the big one where the Dublin clubs will probably try and, and sniff after that. But you're right. Since the likes of Rihanna Jarrett, Clara Reardon left a couple of years ago, there hasn't really been a, any seasons where we've seen mass exodus from Wexford. They're benefiting from that because the, the younger players are, are getting to play alongside the likes of Kylie. We've seen some of them probably being thrown in at the deep end and Wexford a bit too young and they've had to either sink or swim. And some of them have swum, swam and, and, and been brilliant. And I think the opportunities for them is, is there because of the fact that maybe they don't have as many so-called marquee names as you'd say compared to a Shelburne or a Shelburne or a P-Mount wouldn't at times but I just think that the fact that works with the, the togetherness is probably the biggest thing that gets them and drives them because you, you come into that group and you're, you're sort of taken under a wing and you're you're able to develop and, and grow and we've seen the likes of Ellen she's probably stepped on three or four gears this year from where she has last year and she's, she's probably right up there for, for the potential player of the year with the likes of Emily Corbett maybe Lindsay McKee and you know, it's for Wexford, it's, you're right, it's just been about consistency in terms of keeping players. Yeah, they did lose Lynn Craven as well at the start of the year. It would be a reasonably big name, Sinead Taylor, in there as well. But but it, on the whole, the exodus has been much smaller out of Wexford. They think, seem to retain players a lot more. Maybe just different ages, different uh, eight, set portions of their career uh, that they're in the middle of. Uh, moving elsewhere around the grounds, Sligo uh, twice ahead against Galway, but they too... Uh, beaten soundly in the end, 5-2 the final score there. Good performance, five different scorers for Galway as well, kept them on their toes. Um, we're going to talk maybe a bit more about the other issues in Galway very, very shortly, but let's talk about the game first. Um, Sligo will be disappointed to have been ahead twice and not to have come out with something out of this game. But It's it's the same old Sligo against Galway. They've done it multiple times this season where they've been ahead against Galway and, and been pegged back and then got back ahead and then they just haven't been able to see it out. I think that's probably the, the most frustrating thing from a, from a Sligo point of view is their consistency when they're ahead in these sort of games is to see them out. They're probably lacking a bit of experience, a bit of experience in the league as well, which which doesn't really help. Paul McGrory just seems to be having having fun these days with uh, 
with goals. She's she's scoring she's scoring quite regularly for them and becoming a quite a key player for them. But I just think it's it's tough when you when you're maybe reliant on one or two one or two players to get your results and when they if they if you you can't do that in the national league you, you sort of need a full eleven players and I think Sligo have, have realised that and how they'll grow from this year will be will be the interesting thing because they've had it there's no doubt they've had probably one of the best introductory years into the national league from from any new any brand new team but it's about how they can kick on from it for next year I think for Steve Feeney and the the coaching staff even the players it's just a case of now it's just seeing the season out, seeing what results they can get because they've had the great the great start. It's just sort of fallen away, and they'll be disappointed how bad it's fallen away. Emma Doherty has been huge for them this season so far. Um, she's been top of the goal charts. She's been banging them in left, right, and center all, all season. They've signed her on a what looks to be a fairly solid long term deal uh, in association with ATU, what used to be IT Sligo. Um, that's a fairly big achievement for the club to nail her down because I don't think people would have looked at the league table and said Emma Doherty is going to stay at the, the lower reaches of the table, that she might look elsewhere for college or whatever. How big is that achie- uh, uh, that signing for them over the next couple of seasons? It's, it's, it's huge, but it's something that Billy Cleary has called for, for years. He's been involved with, I think he's with NUIG now at the moment. It's something he's always called for, that we need to have a, a bigger togetherness between scholarships with colleges and 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 clubs and i think this is the first sign of it but the, the question you'd have to ask is is it just going to be one player are they going to try to do multiple players are others going to follow because there's others there's no doubt that this is the probably the best way to help tie the players down to not go to america or not go to england for or on poor deals or go to continental europe on poor deals but the question is i think everybody's going to be looking at sligo to see how does this work for them how does how does Emma get on with the college and how does she get on with the the the, the league team? But we, to be honest with you, we were probably expecting she wouldn't be there next year. A lot of people were there was a lot of a lot of people saying there'd be interest in her because she's been scoring goals. She's an underage international. And I think it shows that she's happy at Sligo. But the question you've got to ask is how are they going to build around her? What what other infrastructures have they put in place to to make sure that you can't just sign one player to to the college and and to the and to the club and say she's there for a long term. They need to have big ambitions to to have more to grow even more because if you don't, if one player is not going to win you a league, we we've seen that. So it's 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 okay. I I'm interested to see how much more what the other plans are from Sligo to get more players involved. Absolutely, it's a it's a very very good start for the club, but they do need to to push on. I'm sure they'll be quite eager to do so, and maybe the situation in Galway may come to their advantage. I don't think it will though. I think we're going to have. Fairly good news in, in shortly out of Galway. We'll talk about that very, very shortly. Before we do, maybe let's chat about the last two games of the weekend. Treaty United nil, Bohemians 4. Fairly solid victory for them. A couple of new signings getting on the score sheet for Bose as well. And um, So it's overall very, very happy day for, for Bohemians. 4-0 down the markets field. They've been good for Bose half. They've been, they've been very... The only If you look at the last five games, the only results of dropped points against is Wexford when they were beaten at home and and shells shells when they drew in the league and years gone but last year you would have said if that's the only points balls are dropping out of five games they'd have been over the moon and I think you look at the signings they've been massive Neil Fryer's been very good I think Rachel Doyle's probably been the signing of the window for them she's come in she's really set the, set the place alight and she's just she's just contributing massively I think from a ball's point of view the only concern is is that she's cup tied for the cup semi-final against Shelburne which is 
which is big. But I think from from Boas, they've got good momentum going at the moment, and they're in a real battle with with DLR Waves for for that sixth place. And that probably would have been their ambition at the start of the season. Can they finish above the likes of DLR DLR Waves? Galway's probably just a little bit too far to catch, but they still have to play Galway, which which would be a massive six pointer. But from 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 Boas, you'd have to be happy for Treaty. It's another tough result. Things things aren't really they're not going well there. But how do you how do you keep that ship going? It, it's it, it's it's a tough one. Like I remember seeing them a couple of weeks ago against Shelburne, and it was Donna Reardon. He didn't have many coaching staff with him either, and it's sort of a, it seems as though it's maybe a bit of a a one man ship at times, and that's not that's not easy as well. He, you'd like to hope that they've got the right get and get the right supports in with them and they can build a good structures there because otherwise we may see treaty could stay like this for the next couple of years and that doesn't benefit anybody in the league at all it doesn't we need to have that sort of region thriving with women's football absolutely uh i 100% agree with you and uh disappointing to hear if that is the case in, in goal or in treaty that it's it's a small numbers and small support around the, the squad final game of the weekend dealer waves at loan two sides who had mixed feelings they're probably where each other expected to be at the start of the season if that makes sense um at loan maybe dropped off a little bit in recent weeks but both sides disappointed with the draw or both sides happy just to get another league point on the table i think from uh i, I listened to a bit of an interview with with tommy Ewitt and he was sort of he was disappointed with the result he said that a lot of chance in the first half they just didn't take them he he'd he gave a couple of players an opportunity from dlr's point of view they haven't beaten that loan all season and they'd be disappointed with that because these are the sort of games they'd have been targeting that you're right they'd have been they'd have been the team that a lot were saying at the start of the year who can break the top three it'll be dlr dlr and now they're in a in a fight with both for sixth place so it hasn't really been the season for for graham kelly's side he's been a bit unlucky at times with some injuries and, and players missing and things like that but from from them i think they'll be this for the fact they led as well to be picked back a, a, again it seems to happen quite a bit to to dlr in, in the bowl they get ahead and then they're then they're picked back for for a draw it's 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 just a it's a frustrating one they just really haven't got the the consistency or or the run of the run of results that they would have wanted this season yeah, well, let's quickly take a look at the league table here as we just get rid of the results there. But the Wexford Youth currently on top of the table, uh, 22 games played, of course, 27 the total. So five games left for everybody. Wexford, as you mentioned, still have to play Shells and P-Mount, uh, P-Mount in P-Mount and Shells down in Wexford. So we'll be interested to see how those games pan out. Just on the table, an interesting an interesting note on she- on Shelburne. Any Anytime Shelburne have conceded a goal, They've never won again. They haven't won a game this season where they've conceded a goal. They've always either either drawn or lost the game. Well, uh, yeah, but only nine goals conceded, thankfully, yeah. for, for them. Uh, most of them came against Sligo up in the showgrounds, I think. Uh, in terms of the rest of the table, of course, Trady at the bottom, Cork, Sligo, and then Bowes and DLR, as you mentioned, in that battle for sixth place. Galway, we're going to talk about them very, very shortly. And Athlone then, of course, joint with P-Mount coming into the last couple of games. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, can go, can Athlone break that top three? It remains to be seen over the next couple of weeks. We'll chat about the fixtures uh, very, very shortly. But first, we do have to have a little bit of a chat about the biggest news of the week in the league. And that, of course, is the whole situation with Galway, WFC and Galway United. I'm actually going to read you very briefly a part of a statement that the uh, Board of Galway, WFC, have put out 
Um, and it starts, the Board of Galway WFC have reluctantly decided not to apply for inclusion in next year's SSE Airtricity Women's National League. During the past decade, Galway Women's FC is proud to have brought elite women's football to this region. They go on to thank um, all the people who've helped them do that and the I suppose give a brief history on the club in terms of what's going on. But basically, uh, it ends up saying um, in recent years with additional costs involved in running the success in running a successful club, it has been a demanding time. But Galway FC, WFC is extremely grateful for the support received. It's imperative that the elite women's football remains in the region next season, and we hope that other individuals or entities will take up the mantle to continue the tradition of senior and underage women's football in Galway in 2023. Now, there has been also a, a statement from Galway United who came out, I think, yesterday um, to have a, to have their say in terms of what this is, is going to be for the next few years. And they've said all of us involved in Galway United are saddened by the disappointing news that Galway Women's FC have made the difficult decision to cease operations and withdraw from the Women's National League after this season. They are at the end of the season. They will continue through this year. They talk about the significance of women's football. They talk about the challenges of resources. But they do say at the bottom, Galway United are committed to the development and growth of women's football in Galway. In addition, Luke Comer and the Comer Group have expressed their commitment to support the continuation of women's football at both senior and underage levels in Galway. We will now begin the process of dialogue with all interested stakeholders which will require the cooperation of all those in Galway who wish to see elite women's football thrive in the West. Galway United is an all-inclusive football club, a club for all of us, and we will be united. So um, we have asked Galway Women's FC to, to come on to the show. Um, we haven't received a, an official response from them either way, So, uh, but they have been invited to partake. But Aaron, we've been chatting off air about this over the last 24 hours or 48 hours or so. Um, what's your thoughts on the situation? Disappointment. You know, first initially when you when you see this come out, you're sort of like, not again. We've seen Castle Bar fall mid-season. We've seen Kilkenny United come out of the league for other other reasons. And we, you've sort of been thinking, okay, the league has gone from strength to strength. Everything under women's football is on a good buzz. And then then you see that. But then the thing is, you also see the likes of the, the stuff that come out where they're talking about finances and stuff like that. And the budgets and stuff that's the biggest thing for me it's it's just a it's it's disappointing because the fact of you know just it's come mid-season i would i said to you i would like to see a statement saying listen we don't think we're going to be able to fulfill next year we'd be up we'd be hoping if even you know come and get me rather than saying listen we're not there that there's there's probably reasons a lot more reasons behind the statement than than we know in public that's out in the public at the moment but you know that there is there's some people in Galway who put a lot of time there, being there from the start. For me, it's tough when you've when you look at Galway for the last couple of years because they've always had some good players, but they've never quite delivered and never quite got over the line. I think their 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 biggest attempt at winning any sort of trophies when they got to a Shield final, they've never really pushed on to where Galway should be. And I think if if they had have got to the position that they probably were where they should be it may have been easier to source finances and things like that but it's disappointing hopefully oh you know it do come on board and take it take it on board but from the statement it's sort of a case of you know come you it's, it's your turn now i know there's a lot of talk the fai over recent years want to sort of have a league of ireland every club has a league of ireland club 
I don't think we're ready for that sort of thing because it's a massive commitment for every every club. But I just hope it get I hope we hope it gets sorted for the sake of Galway because there's a lot of players there while other clubs will benefit. There's not enough places for every every player to go around. Absolutely, and I think for me, I read the statement uh, when it came out uh, on under Tuesday, and I just thought. Um, I was disappointed by the language in it more so than the the sentiment in it. I just thought it was very defeatist and very almost like we're throwing the towel in here. And I'm not trying to criticize any of the people who've done stellar work and hours and hours and hours of their own time over many, many years. uh, And they deserve every bit of credit, every bit of uh, acknowledgement for the work they've put in, for the resources they've put in, their time, more than likely for most of them, their money as well. I know when you run these kind of teams, you end up Paying, buying things that you never get refunded for, you never look for the back. You put your own money in to do things, and it just disappears. It enters the black hole, as the, as it's called. Um, I just thought, heard a number of sixteen hundred. I know Stephen Warren came on the. On, I was in Galway Bay FM the other day talking about um, talking about the the situation in the club, and he mentioned a figure of a budget of sixteen hundred sixty thousand euros a year, and that almost floored me. And he talked about the first year being. Uh, they budgeted for 20, they got away with 18, um, and now it's almost tenfold increase in the in the budget. Just but I, I don't understand where 160,000 has been spent. Mm. Um, unless the players' expenses, the coaching expenses have gotten completely out of hand. And like if every game costs you a thousand euros to host or to travel to, even with the underage schedules, that's still only 50, 60, 70,000. I was talking to someone last night and they were saying with, with knowledge within the National League and they were saying like some clubs are paying upwards of 1,500 quid just to go to an away game for a bus and food with the, with the, with the cost of things. But it's still, even if you're, if you're going to say 13 away games, it's still a massive additional amount on top of that. It's sort of like, you know, and I, I'd love, you'd love to know the breakdown. And I think the problem is with a lot of clubs is, we don't know what they're paying on on expenses. I think I remember Pmount a couple of years ago doing something in a match program where they sort of detailed all their expenses, and it wasn't that high. It was it wasn't that high, but that was probably a time as well when players are paying were paying subs. So is it a case? Also, I'd like to know is is the club paying the subs now, or the FAI still funding it? But the th- the thing is, they've got a lot. Of, there's, there's been a lot of money in the league in the last couple of years with sport or with sport Ireland with, with the COVID payments. And I think a lot of clubs have got like there's been seasons where I'd say a lot of the clubs broke were, were definitely in profit from from them sort of monies. So it's it's difficult without knowing all the ins and outs and all the, the finer details of, of what the breakdown of the budget is. We can only speculate on what was that what was that money spent on. But if you were to say to me 160 grand to run a women's national league team to run three women's and two underage teams, I would have said that's 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 way too much. Yeah, but I think I, before anyone, we're not we're not saying any no. money when when missing or was misappropriate. What we're trying to say is that the resources that people had maybe were inflated with COVID payments, with with budgets and with grants over the last couple of years, and and these kind of operations they get a bit. If you have the budget, things can get a little bit. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of. Just they, they grow and, and budgets know how to get spent when you, when people have resources and, and you get extra things. You you upgrade maybe where you train, you you train you get better gear, you you get a better quality of bus, you you provide more food on, on away trips, and all of a sudden what no what should cost you a thousand euros is now costing you fifteen hundred 
and that's where the creep is setting in. Um, I've got a question I, on that for you. Go on. Are, are the do they, do the clubs have to submit their budgets like a league award for with licensing to the FAI? And are these sort of big budgets being approved? Because I don't know. that's if that's to me. You know, you'd like this. You'd like to hope and say the FAI are, are, are approving all teams' budgets because surely, if if they, if that was the case, you'd like to say the FAI would step in and say, "Hey, listen, that's way too much. Why are we spending so much on it? Are you sure you can do that?" You know, it's 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 a tough one, and I think we all. The biggest thing is we all feel for the people of Galway, the people of Galway WFC, some 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 great people behind the scenes, and some great players who've who've done the done the colours and like. We just as 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 people people who are involved in, in in covering the league, we just want to see Galway successful in that Galway a successful Galway, and I think for us it's probably more of a frustration that this is this has had had to come to fruits rather than a case of you know things 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 of of what's happened. It's not a we're just disappointed that it's it's come to it rather than 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 anything. Yeah, I think so. I think the the other side of it is, and I this is my take on things is that it's a lot of talk about nothing. Um, in some respects, I think there will be senior football in Galway next year. I think it will be under the auspices of Galway United. I think they'll still be in Terryland Park, provided they can do a deal with the Galway FA. I think a lot of this is purely putting it out there that it costs an awful lot of money to run a team at this level, and they're looking for help. They're looking for. Uh, maybe some help from the FAI, and that might be beneficial to all the teams in the league. So maybe it's not the worst thing. Um, they're looking for help from the local council as well. Um, I know I, I heard uh, an interview that was done today with uh, Jonathan Corbett of Galway United, and he talked about reaching out to the council and uh, and getting it discussed at council level to see if there's any funding that can be brought to the to the equation. So I do think this is not going to have a material difference, uh, other than maybe what logos on the jersey next year. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of similarity to the ladies set up in Galway next year. And hopefully, hopefully it's just posturing between all of the different uh, groups involved. But I think uh, it would be an absolute scandal if, if women's football was allowed to, to die in, in at adult level, at senior level in the, in, the, in a city like Galway. It would be, it'd be un- unthinkable for it to happen. Absolutely. Fully, fully agree. And ho- hopefully it resolves itself in the next week or two, next couple yeah. of weeks. Absolutely. Well, we're down to two minutes to go before the hour, and we don't like going over the hour. So really, really quickly, let's take a quick look at the fixtures for the weekend ahead. Cork City versus Galway, Pimatch United versus Sligo, both kick off at 5 p.m. Bowes and Theodore Waves, they'll do battle in Dalyman Park, while Wexford Youths entertain Treaty, both those games at 6 p.m. and Athlone and Shells at 7. No, you're wrong there. You're wrong there. Athlone and Shells is half four, and it's live in TG Carr. Well, we didn't. We, sorry, apologies. Uh, corrected by uh, Aaron, who is the all seeing, all dancing thing. But before I let you go, Aaron, you have a minute. Uh, your game of the weekend. What are you looking forward to? Bosen, Bosen, DLR. It's the game I've been looking forward to for a long time since the transfer window with the players moving. It's Bose haven't beaten them in the National League. Can this be the chance? Potentially, that's the one I'll be at. And that's the one I'll be looking forward to most. Could potentially be a big weekend for all the teams involved over the weekend as well. Of course, plenty of action on that game. Shells in Athlone. Could be another banana skin. Can they afford another flip-up? Uh, Wexford Utes would be expected to get full marks from Trady. So uh, Shells need to keep the pressure on them at the top of the table. Of course, Athlone and Piemont will want to say in that discussion as well. Aaron, we're going to finish before the hour. We're going to let them go. Uh, thanks very much for joining me. As always, it's a pleasure to have you here. 
and we'll talk to you again next week.